the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So in the Old Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies. We're only going to go through some of them this morning. And then we're going to sing and praise God about those prophecies and the realities that came to fruition. Amen? And we're going to do that. It's all on screen this morning. We're, not, we're only going to have one song that we sing via video. And that's really going to be difficult. And I hope you can help us with it. We're going to start the song and then we're going to sing it as a group a cappella. We can do this, right? <laughs> we can do this. Because I think it would be very impactful. All right, we're going to sing our first song this morning, O Great God of Highest Heaven. O Great God of Highest Heaven, Occupy my lowly heart. Own it all and reign supreme. Conquer every rebel power. Let no vice or sin remain that resist your holy war. You have loved and purchased me. Make me yours forevermore. I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joys. Then your Spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me. Through the gospel of your Son, gave me endless hope and peace. Help me now to live a life that's dependent on your grace. Keep my heart and guard my soul from the evils that I face. You are worthy to be praised with my every thought and deed. O great God of highest heaven, glorify your name through me. Isn't it wonderful that we serve a great God? The, the great God. The great God. The prophecies of Holy Week is what we're going to be Expressing today and worshiping through today how that God tended some, in some aspects thousands of years before He came, what would happen? How many know it's thousands of years? Praise the Lord. The Bible's first promise, what does that look like? Genesis, right? Apple. Genesis, here we go. Genesis 3.15, what does that say? It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What is that prophesying? The death of Christ and the, the eventual death of Satan. Amen? Now listen, theology matters. Okay, I'll give you another opportunity. Theology matters. Amen, right? Theology matters. And unfortunately, there is wrong theology out there. I want to read to you one of them concerning this. 
in most editions of the Dewey Reams Bible, the Catholic's counterpart to the King James Version, Genesis 3.15 says this, I will put enmities between thee and the woman, and thy seed and her seed. She shall crush thy head, and thou shalt lie and wait for her heel. There is an idea in the world today that we should all as Christians just get along. I can't get along with heresy. Mary was truly blessed and truly used of God to give birth to Jesus who conquered sin. Mary did not conquer sin. Crushing the serpent head as many facets of fulfillment. Crushing the serpent's head, children of Israel were birthed. That's why Abraham was told, I will create a new peoples, a peoples of God, a peoples for me with your seed. Praise God for that. Through the children of God came the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was an Israel, was born of Israel. Birthing, the birth of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. The birth of a new peoples of God. This is not a repeat of the old peoples of God. This is a new peoples of God. Israel and the church are separate peoples of God. Although we're brothers in Christ, we are separate peoples of God. Different. The birthing of the church happened. The earthly kingdom will happen. Oh, by the way, all these happened. The children of Israel happened. The birth of Christ happened. The resurrection of Christ happened. The birth of the church has happened. And we are enjoying that. What we are expecting now is an earthly kingdom. Jesus is coming again. He's coming again to set up His earthly kingdom. Praise God for that. By the way, if all the other ones came true, that one's coming true. And lastly, ultimately, the everlasting state. For the church, when we are raptured to be with Christ, we will never leave Him. Never leave Him. Because we go right into the earthly kingdom and then eventually into the eternal state. Praise God for His truths. The resurrection is what we are celebrating today. And I'm not going to go on into the specifics. We have done that in an earlier study. But it's safe to say between 30 A.D. and 33 A.D., the bruising of the heel of the seed of woman, Jesus, was fulfilled. We celebrated that on Friday, called Good Friday. We celebrated how that Jesus Christ was nailed to a cross. His hands outstretched, His head bowed in humility, His heart torn in anguish and destroyed for you and for me. This is the story of what Jesus Christ did for you and for me and how it was foretold thousands of years before. This should be good. Let's sing in Christ alone because that's our only hope. Amen? Let's all stand. And by the way, <clears throat> sorry, if, if you are getting really tired of sitting, let me know by doing something because I'll have a stand. There's songs all the way through this, all right? In Christ alone.
in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm for the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are stilled when striving cease my comforter my all in all here in the love of christ i stand in christ alone who took on flesh fullness of god in helpless babe this gift of love in help scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. There in the ground His body lay, light of the world in darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave He rose again. And as He stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am His and He is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Amen? No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. No, <clears throat> no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from His hand till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask um, Gabe if you could. Could you get a couple of cups, uh, one of coffee and one of water for me, please? My voice is so low. We're starting low, and I'm sorry. All right, we're going to sing another song. So uh, there's a prophecy concerning the triumphal entry. It's very interesting. I love that this, this, this just gets me excited. I don't know. Does, does prophecy get you excited? Yes. Okay, I can tell from three of you. <sighs> Everybody's too Minnesota monotone. <laughs> Reality is, Jesus Christ himself, if you'll picture this, thank you so much. Oh, it wasn't made. Or it's all drunk? I don't know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus Christ is watching baptisms by John. The scribes and Pharisees are there. The scribes and Pharisees mock him. And Jesus looks at him and says, You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That happens about a month, somewhere between a few weeks to months before the triumphal entry. Because guess what happens? 
as he comes in riding on a donkey, what do they say? Hosanna! Hosanna to the King! Praise Him! Blessed be Him! Blessed be Christ! Amen? They're, they're, they're proclaiming Christ! He comes in to the city of Jerusalem heralded. We find that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It prophesies the Messiah will come in 62 weeks and then be cut off. By the way, that actually is a prophecy that happened by an unsaved man. 70 weeks of Daniel talks about how that 69 weeks will be fulfilled. and It took 69 weeks, and if that's all mathematically figured out, it's A.D. 32. That's talked about back in Daniel. Is that awesome or what? Daniel's 70th week in 445 B.C. Artaxerxes Jerusalem walls to be rebuilt. 397 is the close of the, of the Old Testament. That's 49 years, seven, seven weeks. 62 weeks, 434 years later, and if you follow Harold Honer, by the way, if you have a piece of paper and pencil, write this down. You need to have this. I can see nobody getting it, but this is really important. Or oh, forget it. Your phone. Put it on your phone. You can text it to yourself. Harold Honer is the guy's name. The aspects of Christ's life. The chronological aspects of Christ's life. That's the book. Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ by Harold Honer. That book will walk you through mathematically that it is very highly possible, I think absolute, Jesus came riding on a donkey the very day it was prophesied by in, back in Daniel. To the very day. Phenomenal. Get that book, you need it. Regardless, Zechariah 9.9 prophesies that he will come riding on the colt of a donkey. How important is that? To ride on the colt of a donkey. Could you imagine a Roman emperor? By the way, Roman emperors, Greek philosophers and Greek great kings, what did they do? Egyptians kings, when they conquered something, what did they ride into, the, into their city with? A horse. Uh, there was no way that any of them would have rode a donkey into the kingdom. They would proud and arrogant, chest pressed high. All the goods that they had just conquered from a neighboring country would follow. Look what I have done. I have conquered. Jesus does something totally different. Jesus comes riding on the colt of a donkey. A donkey! How humble is that? Can you turn up the volume, please? All of the Gospels speak to us of the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem for that first day of Passion Week. 
But only Matthew explains this coming in terms of a prophecy. You know, Matthew loves to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's Zechariah 9.9, which speaks of a gentle king coming on the foal of a donkey. Two key words, king, first of all, because Jesus is coming as a king, but also gentle, very important. Now, 30 years ago, when Jesus came, Matthew tells us the city was troubled. Now he tells us the city is stirred because the way a king enters a city, the type of horse he's riding on when he enters the city makes all the difference in the world. If Jesus were riding a war horse, the city would be in big trouble because he'd be coming in judgment. And in Revelation 6, that's exactly what we see, Jesus on a white war horse. But Zechariah tells us he's coming on the foal of a donkey and it's a gentle king. He hasn't come to conquer, though he is a victorious king. He hasn't come to conquer. He's come to be conquered on that cross because that is how he wins the victory. As he comes, the people throw down their coats, they throw down palm branches, and herald the king as he comes. Folks, he isn't realized as the king of the world within humanity yet. But he certainly is realized as king of our lives now. Amen? Therefore, Let's sing, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. He is our King. I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him. Lord of all, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransom from the fall. Hail Him who saves you by His grace and crown Him Lord of all. Hail Him who saves you by His grace and crown Him Lord of all. Let every kindred, every tribe from this terrestrial ball to Him all majesty us and crown Him Lord of all. To Him all majesty ascribe and crown Him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at His feet may fall. 
will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Our men could come forward this morning for our morning offering. <clears throat> I'll ask Joshua if you'll open up this part of the service in prayer, please. So thankful to have the piano back. We will continue now to where it gets, to be honest with you, bloody. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, in 690 B.C., they said that he would be scourged and beaten and the pummeling that was took place. Thank you very much. Gabe even put creamer in it. He knows who I what I like. Way to go, Gabe. It is understood that Christ was beaten with a cat of nine tails. What that is, is small shards of sharpened bones, metals, whatever was there, rocks. They were sharpened, put on, put on the end of leather strips. And they were, then those strips were all gathered onto a stick. And you can imagine swinging those things like, like, a, like a whip. You've all noticed what a whip is, right? Those end pieces catch you and they snap. Imagine putting on that whip those sharp shards of different pottery and 
metal and stone. What would happen is they would throw that whip, if you will, that cat of nine tails, a short handled whip, into the back. And from what I understand, according to history, they would, all those fragments would embed themselves in the flesh and stick there. Then the soldier would take it and rip it down off of his back. That is what is understood traditionally, and which means historically, of what happened at the whipping of Jesus. It is beyond comprehension. It is said in historical record that people that were whipped like such opened up windows into the organs from the backside. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. That's what he did. That's the death he willingly embraced to give you the life you freely enjoy. This beating that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 50 was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, verse 67. He was beaten, the Bible says, beyond recognition. You've got to get pretty bad to beyond human recognition. He was mocked, Matthew chapter 27. He was reviled, Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. He was spit upon, Mark chapter 15. He was beaten, he was scourged, he was drugged. He was also kissed. He was betrayed by a friend. For three years, three years, Jesus was involved with a band of twelve called the Apostles. And for three years, they had to have worked together, played together, lived together. For three years, Christ served them, loved them, encouraged them, wept with them, laughed with them, all because He chose them. So this prophesy, prophecy that He was going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, not by name, but by betrayal, a thousand years before the birth of Christ, that truth was prophesied. You would be betrayed by a friend. And he was. It was fulfilled in A.D. 30-33. We find that fulfillment in John chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 14. He was betrayed by one of the people that everybody thought was one of the greatest in their 
group. To be honest with you, I view Judas as the legalist of all legalists. He showed everybody how great he was, but his heart was not where his mind was. His heart was all about himself. He served a God, but his God was himself. We see it when, do you remember the perfume was dumped all over Christ? And what does he say? What is your problem, woman? Just look at what he said. Derogatorily to her. You could have <clears throat> given to the poor. Hey, was that a good point for me? Do you see the attitude? By the time he got to the Lord's Supper, all of that boiled up. And he just got up and ran. Right? to the high priests to tell them where Jesus was, how they can get him, go get him. He was betrayed. Folks, the question is, how betrayed, how horrible would that betrayal be between friends? How worse of a betrayal if it's between father and son? And to be honest with you, the betrayal of us to Christ is much worse than the betrayal of Judas to Christ. How many understand that? There is, I sacrifice my life for you. You're a child of mine, yet you live in two worlds. You act like the world in the world and you act all pious in church. Who's betraying whom today? I pray that Jesus Christ truly is King of all our lives, not just the religious part. I want you to understand that. All of our lives. Let's sing together the song King of my life, I crown thee now. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy thorn crown brow, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robes of light arrayed guarded thee whilst thou slept. Lest I forget Gethsemane, 
lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. Let me like Mary through the gloom come with a gift to thee. Show to me now the empty tomb. Lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. May I be willing, Lord, to bear daily my cross for Thee. Even Thy cup of grief to share, Thou hast borne all for me. Lest I forget the ceremony, lest I forget Thine agony, Lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. The reality is this song is perfect, is it not? We ask so many times, why do we get put in these situations where life is so hard and disruptions come that we just mourn and weep over? Here's why. There's not a one person in here who does not forget what Christ has done for them on the cross throughout our lives. We all do. Those circumstances, those bad events are to bring us our focus back on Him. Praise the Lord. Bring back to Him. So we know Judas then betrays him. Zechariah chapter 11 talks about it. 520 B.C. is when it was stated. It was fulfilled in Matthew chapter 26, verses 14 through 16. 30 pieces of silver bought the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of all gods, if you will. The Supreme, sovereign God Almighty was bought for pennies. Humility becomes Him. He then goes to where? By the way, this is interesting. I'll I'll tell you the story. I love this part of the story. So, if you remember, I told you Judas gets up and takes off, right? Because he was called out. You are the one that's going to betray me. Whoop! Well, I'm out of here. Did all this good for you. Could you imagine him saying that type of thing? Taken off. He runs to the chief priests. Said, hey guys, I know where he's at. Give me my money. Let's go. Gives them the money. Where do you think they're going to go? Where is Judas going to take the high priest's Where are they they going to take him to? Okay, We know they take him to the Garden of Sinai, but is that the first place that Judas would have taken them? 
Where was he? Up in the upper room. Judas got ticked, took off. So it's, it, there's no question in my mind that these guys went right to the upper room and huh, no one's there. Okay, where are we going to get him? I know what happened. Jesus and the band of 12, band of 11 now, right? Leave and go to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, how did they get there? The Amtrak. Horseback. No. We are not told of any of these things that took place, but what did take place is this. In order to get from the lower part of Jerusalem to the high part of the Mount of Olives, the garden of, where the Garden of Gethsemane is, in order to get there, you have to cross the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley is like three or 400 feet deep. So from Jerusalem down into the valley and back up, basically you could see the Garden of Gethsemane straight on almost. But to get there took a long time. How do you understand? And so they get out, they, they go across the valley of Kidron, which is now flowing. It's not always flowing, but now it is. Because it's been estimated that hundreds of thousands, possibly, of Jewish people are now in town for Passover and sacrificing the lambs. And the Kidron Valley is full of blood flowing through the creek bottom. And this is where Jesus Christ Himself has to cross that bloody stream to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. The picture of the Lamb being slain and the true Lamb crossing the blood that was slain for a picture, it blows my mind how just beautiful that is in a sense. They get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in such agony. He is what? Praying, praying drops of blood from his forehead, right? He says this statement, which every one of us should say every day of our lives. Not my will, but thine be done. As he's praying, obviously he gets in, in the face of the sleeping disciples. It's been a long day, right? It's been a long week. They're sleeping. In comes the soldiers and they grab him. Judas kisses him on the cheek. Why is it that husband and wife like to kiss each other after something like that? Do you ever think about that? A kiss of betrayal is a kiss that we will never... By the way, there, there are very few people that name their kids Judas. He stands before them. The assembly is brought together. He stands before them. And it's prophesied in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, that he sits there I think the term is as a lamb before slaughter and says nothing. This idea of a lamb before slaughter is dumb. How many have ever heard of that? 
What is that talking about? Has anybody ever been near a slaughterhouse of lambs? Literally, lambs are a unique animal. And we used to graze sheep, my wife and I did, our family did, and we, 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 when we butcher them, we grab them, we put them on their side, and you wouldn't even have to do anything. They would just sit there, lay there. They wouldn't struggle, they wouldn't, you have one hand on them, even hardly on them, and they just stood there, and they were dead silent. Now, catching them is different. But the butcher process was not. It was very solemn, very just lay there to be killed. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He was there, quiet, letting them spew false accusations and didn't say a word. It was fulfilled in Matthew 27, 12 through 14. It's interesting, and I don't know, it's very interesting that he was accused here, but then when he was taken to Pilate, Pilate didn't want to kill him. And Pilate himself, during that discussion between Jesus and Pilate, it is good that one man should die for the rest of the world. Out of a mouth of a pagan ruler, comes the exact prophecy of what was going to happen. Isn't God awesome in the way He orchestrates and plans His providences? So here He is silent. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, they said, they will look on Me whom they have pierced. It's prophesied there, me and pierced. It is very unfortunate, and I would, I, would, I would ask that we pray for the people of the Jewish people. Today, Israel will look at the Old Testament. They still embrace the Old Testament, what is left of their religious sect. Most of Israel is all secular right now, anti-anything. Religious. But those who are in the know, the rabbis and such would say, yes, Isaiah, Zachary, those things, the bad things that happened to whoever that is, it's talking about how it happened to Israel, us. Huh. Oh. That's about your Messiah that you have rejected. What is interesting in Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about seeing whom they have pierced, and, or, or not pierced, but they have, what's the verse? It's Isaiah 53. Ah, try, hope is due memory and I have lost it. He was beaten. Uh, let's, you know what? Let's not try to think about it. Let's read it. That's a novel idea. Isaiah. 53 starts for he grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of the parched ground and has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and like 
One whom, from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. They believe that's talking about themselves. You know what? They might be right. But they're looking at it as in a historical sense. Someday, the Jewish people are going to see Christ, their King, come down, step on the Mount of Olives, and they will say, we did esteem Him badly. It is by His scourging we are healed. So, in a sense, they're right. They just got the timing all wrong. But the reason they have the timing wrong it's because they have rejected the Messiah. I don't know how you can look at this text and say that it's talking about me when clearly we ourselves are the ones that rejected and oppressed Him. And that's exactly what took place. They will look at me whom they have pierced that was fulfilled in John chapter 19, verse 34. We know the sto story of how the soldiers came by to break the legs of the three perpetrators. Now, why did they have to break their legs? Just think of this picture, if you will. We don't know how beaten the other two thieves were. We do know what Christ had already been through. He'd been beaten in the face so bad you can't see him from a man. He, his beard was plucked out of his face. I scream when my wife plucks a little hair out of my eyebrow. The whole beard ripped out of his face. His back is shredded laid open and waste for the world to see the organs, and then they throw him on the cross. Where's his back? Praise the Lord, they had planers back then, sanders back then, so that cross was smooth. Not at all. This was a beam hacked by axes. Rough as rough could be, his hands outstretched, his back pressed against it, his feet with a nail through them probably had a, a piece of wood on the bottom because what would happen is people that died by crucifixion was supposed to be a painful death of suffocation. And they, in order to get a breath, in order to not die, they would have to lift their body up and get a breath in their lungs and then let their body back down and hung and their lungs could not get any more breath. Every breath they took was Christ pushing him up to breathe against that beam. This was 
horrific, to say the least. So they broke the other two legs so they could not lift themselves up to get a breath. But when they came to Jesus, they noticed there was no breath left in him. So they took the spear, shoved it up underneath his chest, and pierced his heart. And the Bible says, out proceeded blood and water. He had already been dead. Gone. Some people believe that he spent three days in hell. That is a common thought. It is in the um, confessions of many churches. I don't think that is accurate. I believe that he spent three days with the dead. It's different than what we understand as the eternal fire. There is a difference, a thing that has changed place. And the reality is just like Zachariah, or just Zach, uh, the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that story? That he went to Abraham's bosom, and there he could see a gape golf fix, and there's people in there screaming, wanting help, but they could talk and communicate to each other. That was what we understand the, the, the area of the dead, if you will. I think there's much more evidence that that's where Christ went. And by the way, this idea of he led captivities captive, do you remember that? Talking about that very thing? Well, here's the deal. Abraham's bosom then was carried off to be with Christ, amen? <laughs> to lay captivity captive. What a great story. Anyways, more research on that should be done on a Sunday school, which we already have. But Jesus Christ said it was finished. During this time, they what did they do? The soldiers at the bottom of the cross gambled for his coat. Found in Matthew chapter 25, verse 37. Folks, is there any greater love than to recognize what, after we see what Jesus Christ did, not only purposely desiring it and the pain that he was going to do. Did he know what he was going to go through? Of course he did. What kind of love is that? Do we share that same type of love? Well, I will tell you, you are redeemed peoples of God who are created in the image of God and you are redeemed. You can share that type of love. That's the whole purpose of why he did that. To share your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. There's a song called The Love of God. How many would like to stand? Are you feel... You want to stand? Okay, let's stand as we sing the love of God. The love of God is greater far than anchor pen can ever tell.
the guilty pair bound down with care God gave his son to win his erring child he reconciled and pardoned for his sin <laughs> could we I'm sorry could we with ink the oceans fill and where the skies of parchment may were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the stretch from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it will forevermore endure the saints and angels' Next song we're going to sing as long as you're standing because this is a beautiful song and you guys will know it well. Oh, to see the dawn. This is one of my favorite. Probably love this song. Oh, to see the dawn. What a great song as we're thinking about the death of our Savior. as 
great song, The Power of the Cross. What a great truth that song praises our God for. The Bible says that in Isaiah 53, he prophesies that he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. That was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. In Matthew chapter 27, it says, When the even was come, there just by chance came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Matthew chapter 27, verse 57. Jesus is in the tomb. And from Friday all the way through Saturday into Sunday morning, he laid there. But something happened. Something happened. This is an idea, a portrayal of what that might have looked like.
imagine been there? Could you imagine that? Being told that the King of Kings is not in his grave. He's gone. Could you imagine the thoughts that went through him? And they, I, I can imagine some of them, they, they took his body. By the way, that was being told on both sides probably. <laughs> it's interesting, this text, I have the Ark of the Covenant there. This is again one of my favorite. I love Easter by the way. I love Resurrection Sunday. But there, this is the Ark of the Covenant. We all know the Ark of the Covenant was what the Israelites were taking around. They had built. That Ark of the Covenant had the mercy seat put on top of it. That mercy seat had two angels, wings overspanning, covering the mercy seat. We just saw a picture of what it may have looked like. But one thing we didn't see on there was what text tells us happened. And he seeth, John chapter 20, two angels in white sitting, the one on the head and the one at the feet where the body of Christ had lain. It is a stunning similarity between what is pictured in my mind that took place in the, in the tomb to what had been with Israel almost its entire lives. It has been said that, someone said that there's 365 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that came true in the New. I think that number is maybe a little bit massaged, being that there's one for every day that we can remember. Well, that's a good thing to do, amen. To remember at least one prophecy that was told in the Old Testament that came true in the New. But regardless, there are thousands of prophecies. Jesus Christ truly is God. He truly is King. He truly has sacrificed His love his life for us in love. How deep is that? We're going to sing that song next. How deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure how great the pain of searing loss the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen Sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. 
It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No kiss no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my his wounds have paid my ransom. After realizing that truth and singing that song, how wicked and horrible are the sins that we still commit to this day. That was the payment for them. Any person who believes I'm free from sin or I'm free, I'm free from death and hell, I can sin as I please, is a liar and a spawn of Satan. How dare you say that with the cross of Christ permanently embedded in front of you? How wicked is that? But praise the Lord. The Lord is risen. Amen. He has risen indeed. Absolutely. We serve a risen, live, living Savior. We do not serve some dead rock on a stone made out of stone. A live Savior. He's risen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14 says, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whew. There are no such things as great men or great women. There are only common women and common men who have done great things by the power of the cross. It's all in the power of Christ. We are going to try this this morning. I've never done this. But I'm going to do my best to try this. I'm going to, we're going to start this song, so it's all up to you, my friend, okay? We're going to start this song um, with a choir, so we get realizing how the song goes, and then we're just going to drop them out completely and sing this as a cappella, okay? Does that make sense? Can we do this? I hope so, because it could be beautiful. <laughs> All right.
nothing can compare. Come, let us adore Him. Who has given counsel to the Lord? Who can question any of His words? Who can teach the one who knows all things? Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore the nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man. God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen now to Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him. This is where the he will reign forever comes in, but it's only four times. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. Amen. Maybe seated. Praise God. Behold our God. Amen. He is risen. We do not serve a dead God. We serve a living Savior. And He's in the world today. At the end of this service, I think it's very appropriate. What does this all mean? What is the point? And therefore, this morning we're going to... We've invited a special guest for two minutes to preach what the gospel is in a very well, very well way. And I pray that this will be encouraging to you. But I also pray, if you have, do not know the, know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is for you. There is no better day than today.
to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Paul Washer brings us two minutes of what, what this means. At this moment, God commands all men to repent and believe that today is the day of salvation, that you are to flee from the wrath to come, to flee from the law of Moses that condemns you into the city of refuge who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Run to Him. Repentance is simply giving up to stop fighting against God and to stop attempting to gain your own salvation through your own works, to literally give up and fall upon Christ. That is salvation. So that you say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And when that seed grows in you to the point where you know that you're standing before God is 100 absolutely percent based and founded upon the perfect work and merit of Jesus Christ, then you stand before Him with confidence, knowing that all your sins have been atoned for and that you are righteous in Christ. Come to Him. surely has been paid. It was a horrific price. But if you're sitting here and you have been trusting in being good enough, being wet enough in baptism, having drunk enough of the Lord's Supper, that, that those things are going to be good enough for you to get to heaven, you are sorely mis... You sorely misunderstand. You are misinformed. It was the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. And it's only by His blood and His sacrifice do we have the ability to become a child of God. It is by repenting and embracing Jesus Christ. Repenting of self, it is not of what I have done. It is what you have done. Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. There is one story I did not reveal to you that took place on the cross that is most pertinent to everyone sitting here. One of the thieves on the cross, all both of them were mocking, reviling, cursing him. Towards the end of the ordeal, 
the one thief looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me. He called upon the name of the Lord. Jesus looked at him and said, Sorry, bud. Too late. You haven't gone through the waters of baptism. The only good work that I've seen in your life is what you just said to me now. And frankly, you don't even know what the Lord's Supper is. So no, it's not for you. Is that what he said? He looked at the man and said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. By the way, another reason why three days in hell is not necessarily true. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Folks, this world is literally going to hell. You today, and probably for a long time in your life, have the inoculation, have the answer for, for the world's sin problem. Many of you today have already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and you are saved. I beg of you, live all of life like you're saved. For you that do not know what in the world I'm talking about. You have been given a time on this earth. You have no idea when that time runs out. It could be on your way home. You lose that precious life that you have. If you lose it without calling upon the name of the Lord, without repentance and, and belief, you will spend eternity in hell. That's what Scripture says. Now is the time of repentance and faith. Do not let that opportunity slip by. Call upon the name of the Lord. Believe on the name of the Lord. And thou shalt be saved. Salvation comes only through what we have just watched and understood today. I pray that we live that life every day for God's honor and glory. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truths that clearly express who you are and what you have done. I pray that there's not a one person in here who will go away today watching, seeing, reading, hearing how you sacrificed your life for us and that only by repentance and obedience or repentance and faith we have eternal life. I pray that we would live that. I pray that we would understand that. 
and that we would today, if we haven't already, call upon the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, for the perfect salvation that you graciously have given to us. And we praise you and glorify you for what you have done. In your precious name we pray. Amen. I pray that you have a blessed resurrection day. You are dismissed.